This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Before Jesus began his earthly ministry, he received God's stamp of approval, divine approval, when at his baptism a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. But as is so often the case in our own lives, when the declaration of a truth does not exempt us from having to work through that truth in our own experience, Jesus went into the wilderness immediately after his baptism where he could be alone and think and pray and meditate on his life's work, which was out before him now. While he was there, a test came to him in which he was forced to prove that he was truly God's beloved son and that God would continue to be pleased with him. Satan seized upon this opportunity to meet Jesus and to confront him with a series of temptations. We have three of these temptations recorded in our scripture. Certainly there must have been many, many more. Matthew and Luke give us the three specific temptations. Mark refers to these temptations only in a general way. One observation about these temptations we must look at very closely. This is surely one of the most sacred of all the stories of Jesus because this could have come from no other source than from the lips of Jesus himself. At some time, Jesus must have told his disciples about this intimate experience which he had in the wilderness. So let's set the stage for the location where this temptation took place. It happened in the wilderness a vast stretch of land between Judah, Judea and the Dead Sea, about 35 by 15 miles. There were rolling hills which were dry and barren like dust heaps, limestone rocks everywhere, and some bare and jagged rocks. Here our Lord was tempted, tested by Satan. We've heard during these past days of Christmas many titles which were given to Jesus, One special title is the word Messiah. You remember George Frederick Handel used that one word as the title of his magnificent oratorio, Messiah. But what kind of Messiah would he be? In these three temptations of Satan, the devil used all of his tricks to get Jesus to be a mediocre Messiah, but it didn't work. Let's look now at these three temptations. By the way, Matthew and Luke have the order of the second and third temptations reversed. Each of these Gospels, Matthew and Luke, you find the temptations in chapter 4. The first one, command this stone that it be made bread, Luke 4, verses 3 and 4. Satan tried to get Jesus to use the power of God to satisfy his own needs. The desert was littered with little round pieces of limestone rock, which were exactly like little loaves of bread. Jesus had been in the wilderness for 40 days. He was hungry, Luke records. 
This was a temptation for Jesus to use his powers in a selfish way to satisfy his own physical needs. Don't we face a similar temptation in our lives? God has given each of us gifts for of different natures. And with each gift, we face two questions. One, what can I make for myself out of this gift? Or the other one, what can I do for others with this gift? For example, a person may have the gift of the ability to sing or make beautiful music. There may be the gift of making money. Others may be able to persuade others with their magnetic personality. You may have some other gift. How will we use these God-given gifts? Selfishly? For personal gain? Or for others? Jesus set the tone of his entire ministry as he refused both here and throughout his life to use his supernatural powers for personal gain. Jesus responded to this first temptation with words from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. The second temptation is found in Luke 4, verses 5 through 8. And that's this temptation. Satan said to Jesus, Worship me. Satan continued his attack now on Jesus from another angle. He promised to give Jesus all the kingdoms of this world and their power if only Jesus would bow down to him. Satan said, Worship me and all will be yours. This is the temptation to compromise with Satan. In essence, the devil was saying to Jesus, I have people in my grip. Don't set your standards so high. Strike a bargain with me. Just compromise a little with evil. And people will follow you readily. Wow, was there ever a lesson that people of our day need to learn more than this? But Jesus did not yield. His position was this. God is God. Right is right. And wrong is wrong. There can be no compromise in the war with evil. And again, Jesus quoted from the book of Deuteronomy, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and chapter 10, you'll find those words. The third temptation of Satan was to suggest that Jesus give the people a sensational theatrical performance. Satan took Jesus to a high place on the top of a temple where Solomon's porch and the royal porch met. There was a sheer drop of about 450 feet down to the valley below. That's about one and a half times the length of a football field. In the two previous temptations, Jesus had countered by quoting scripture to Satan. Now Satan uses that same ploy in return. Even the devil, you know, can quote scripture to his own purpose. He said to Jesus, jump. Don't you remember the words of the psalmist who said, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Satan quoted Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. In essence, Satan was saying, Don't you know that God would send angels to protect his beloved son? 
but Jesus did not yield to the temptation to draw people's attention to himself in this way. For the third time, Jesus quoted from the book of Deuteronomy, you must not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. In fact, the way of Jesus was quite the reverse. He said, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. If Jesus had listened to the devil, he would have been a sensation. Oh, no question about that. But he would never have been a savior. In all these three temptations, Satan tried to lure Jesus into being a mediocre Messiah. Mediocrity, first through selfishness. The second temptation, mediocrity through compromise. And third, mediocrity through sensational showmanship. It's interesting to note that in all these temptations, Satan never did suggest that Jesus was not the real Messiah. He knew better. But in fact, he was saying to Jesus, yes, I know you are the Son of God. I know it, and you know it. I don't care if you want to be the Messiah, but just be a Messiah on my terms. Be an ordinary Messiah, and we'll get along beautifully. These same tactics Satan uses on us today to try to trap God's people. The devil does not suggest to you that you stop being a good husband or a wife. He doesn't suggest that you stop going to school or to renounce your church membership. No. All Satan wants from us is to be casual about things that are of eternal importance. He wants us to be common, ordinary, run-of-the-mill, mediocre, when we are capable of much more. For example, in our homes, Satan would be quite happy for family members to be content being only mediocre in their relationship with each other. This doesn't mean that the husband and wife will necessarily get a divorce. No, they'll continue to live together under the same roof, but in sort of a mutual stalemate. On her wedding day, one bride decided to make a list of ten of her husband's faults, which, for the sake of her marriage, she would be willing to overlook. She said, I figured I could live with at least ten faults of his. That was 50 years ago. And as friends and family gathered to celebrate the couple's golden wedding anniversary, somebody asked her to identify some of the faults she had chosen to overlook, some of the list of ten. The woman's husband began to squirm, and <laughs> he became a bit troubled as he thought about the faults that would soon be exposed to a rather large gathering of family and friends. When she was asked to tell about some of these faults of the ten, the wife smiled and she said, to tell you the truth, folks, I never did get around to listing those 10 things. Instead, every time my husband did something that made me hopping mad, I would just say to myself, lucky for him, that's one of the 10. <laughs> Christmas and the holiday season was a time when nerves get frayed. We remember those when people are who are usually loving and kind can feel extra pressures that cause us to be less loving to each other. 
And that's not restricted only to the Christmas time, but even in these days after Christmas, that's true as well. One of the doctors from Kellogg Sanitarium in Battle Creek, Michigan, reported several years ago the results of a unique experiment, experiment they ran. The doctor said this, there, there came to the building where we lived and worked the cutest little puppy you ever saw. We all fell in love with him. And he was so anxious to show us his appreciation for our love, he just wagged his tail with such enthusiasm that his old body wagged along with it. He was the happiest little puppy I ever saw in my life, said one of the doctors. Any little thing we did for him made him bubble over in response. We took that little dog to the operating room, gave him an anesthetic, and made an incision in one of his hind legs. The marrow in the bone was a beautiful pink filled with red corpuscles. We carefully bound up the wound and it healed almost overnight. Then, said the doctor, we passed the word around that no one was to smile at that little puppy or speak in a kind tone of voice to him for six weeks. We fed him just as much as before, but nobody petted him, nobody showed him any affection. The poor little pup just wilted. He became the most forlorn little dog you ever saw. He crept into the dark corners. His tail dragged the ground. So after six weeks, we took him back to the operating room a second time, and we examined again the marrow in the same bone as before. There was now a brownish color. The red corpuscles were very scarce. It took a long time for that wound to heal, in spite of the fact that we now showered all of our pent-up affection on the little puppy. He responded very slowly to our attention, and it took a long time to get him to wag his tail again. And when his enthusiasm was finally restored, we took him one more time to the operating room, and we found the marrow and the bone was once again pink and beautiful as it was originally. Do we dare think that human beings have any less need for love than does a little puppy? Satan is quite pleased when he finds us only mediocre in our relationships with each other in our homes, our workplace, or wherever we are. I think one of the most beautiful illustrations of a person who was not content with mediocrity it's found in a story which I want to share with you in closing. It's a rather long story, but I think you'll find it to be beautiful and meaningful. A school teacher by the name of Miss Thompson had the practice of greeting her students at the very first of every new school year with these words. Boys and girls, I love you all the same. I have no favorites. Of course, she was not being completely truthful. <laughs> Teachers do have favorites. And what is worse, most teachers have students they just don't like at all. Well, Teddy Stollard was a little boy that Miss Thompson just did not like, and for good reasons. He just didn't seem interested in school. There was a deadpan, blank expression on his face. His eyes had a glassy, unfocused appearance. 
When she spoke to Teddy, he always answered in monosyllables, short words with little meaning. His clothes were musty and his hair was unkempt. He was not an attractive boy by any means. Certainly he was not likable. Whenever she marked Teddy's papers, she got a certain perverse pleasure out of putting X's next to the wrong answers. And when she put the F at the top of the papers, she always did it with a red pen and a flare of joy. She should have known better. She had Teddy's records, and she knew more about him than she wanted to admit. His records read as follows. First grade, Teddy shows promise with his work and attitude, but poor home situation. Second grade, Teddy could do better. His mother is seriously ill. He received little help at home. Third grade. Teddy is a good boy, but he's too serious. He's a slow learner. His mother died this year. Fourth grade. Teddy is very slow, but he's well behaved. His father shows no interest in him. Christmas came, and the boys and girls in Miss Thompson's class brought her Christmas presents. They piled their presents on her desk and crowded around to watch her open them. Among the presents, there was one from Teddy Stollard. She was surprised that he had brought her a gift, but he had. Teddy's gift was wrapped in brown paper and was held together with scotch tape. On the paper were written the simple words, For Miss Thompson, from Teddy. When she opened Teddy's present, out fell a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with half of the stones missing and a bottle of cheap perfume. The other boys and girls began to giggle and smirk over Teddy's gifts, but Miss Thompson at least had enough sense to silence them by immediately putting on the bracelet and putting some of the perfume on her wrist. Holding her wrist up for the other children to smell, she said, doesn't it smell lovely? And the children, taking their cue from the teacher, readily agreed with oohs and ahs. At the end of the day, when school was over and the other children had left, Teddy lingered behind. He slowly came over to her desk and said softly, Miss Thompson, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mother. And her bracelet looks real pretty on you, too. I'm glad you liked my presence. When Teddy left, Miss Thompson got out on her knees and asked God to forgive her. The next day when children came to school, they were welcomed by a new teacher. Oh, it was still the same Miss Thompson, but she had become a different person. She was no longer just a teacher. She was a real human being. She was now a person committed to loving her children and doing things for them that would live on after her. She helped all the children, but especially the slow ones, and especially Teddy Stollard. By the end of that school year, Teddy showed dramatic improvement. He had caught up with most of the other students and was even ahead of some of them. At the end of the year, when Miss Thompson's class, uh, he, he left Miss Thompson's class for a higher grade, she did not hear from Teddy for a long time. And then one day Miss Thompson received a note that read as follows. 
Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know. I will be graduating second in my class. Love, Teddy Stollard. Four years later, another note came. Dear Miss Thompson, they just told me I'll be graduating first in my class. I wanted you to be the first to know. The university has not been easy, but I liked it. Love, Teddy Stollard. And four more years later, Dear Miss Thompson, As of today, I am Theodore Stollard, M.D. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm getting married next month, the 27th to be exact. I want you to come and sit where my mother would sit if she were alive. You're the only family I have now. Dad died last year. Love, Teddy Stollard. Miss Thompson went to that wedding and sat where Teddy's mother would have sat. She deserved to sit there. She had done something for Teddy he could never forget. Satan did his best to try to get Jesus to be a mediocre Messiah, but he didn't succeed. And with God's help, when we know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, we too can be what our Lord wants us to be. Remember the words of Jesus, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. So what will it be for us? Mediocrity or maximum Christianity? Oh God, help us not to be satisfied with the good when you're calling on us to be the best that we can be. Thank you that we have Jesus as our example. Not only our example, but as our Savior. This we pray in his wonderful name. Amen.